Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. The last pre-draft edition of the show before the show podcast for 2018. How did this happen? Yeah, Where, I know, right here. The, yeah, the draft really crept up on us this year, I feel like. Um, not that, you know, the draft is normally necessarily our thing. It's, it's nice to get new minor leaguers and all that kind of stuff, but we're so focused on the minor league season. First two months that... Um, you know, we're not as draft heavy as some other places, but, um, but no, this happened really, really quick and it's going to be really exciting, you know, starting next week, first round on Monday and then all the other rounds to follow Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to get some new names into the Meyer leagues and, and see how the, they do the rest of the summer. Get excited. It's coming up next week. Sam will be all over. We'll talk about it here coming up in a little bit. But uh, we welcome in the 162nd episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. Talking minor league baseball. My name is Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. Uh, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. We're at MILB.com slash podcast. We're all over the podcast apps as minor league baseball podcast there. And you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription and all that if you so desire. And uh, catch up on past episodes at MILB.com slash podcast and everywhere else. And uh, um, let's get to it. We'll uh, we'll get started with some draft conversation for 2018 is our first strike in three strikes for this week's episode. Um, things getting started. This is a really, really talent, talented class that's coming in. Um, there are right now so many very high ceiling guys I think that you look at going on early on uh, in the first round, but it doesn't seem like really from the top 30 40 50 picks it's like you can't miss with some of these talents but what right now is standing out to you sam as far as some of the early preview highlights go for this year's draft yeah i mean the the thing about the draft for me is um you know i I usually go into it with some questions and then we get some answers going into it you know like i just said you know we're so focused on the minor leagues uh we don't get to see some of these prep guys and we can call kind of follow the college guys a little bit and see how they progress during the spring. Um, but, you know, questions aren't answered until, you know, we, we can do mock drafts all we want and all that kind of stuff, but we, we're not going to get the answers until Monday. So some of the things I'm kind of looking at going into Monday, at least in terms of, you know, the first round and, and top 10, top five specifically. Uh, Casey Mize, you know, coming out of Auburn seems to be the de facto top overall talent. Um, we thought that last year out of Hunter Green, that necessarily did not turn into Hunter Green going first overall. There's a lot of different calculus that gets involved there, you know, with signing bonus and all that kind of stuff, bonus pools, how people, how organizations want to 
you know, allocate their bonus pool and all that and what kind of pre-draft agreements they can come to with certain players. But right now, as we sit, um, it seems pretty locked on that Mize is going to be the number one overall pick uh, to the Detroit Tigers. You know, he's, he's number one, according to MLB.com, the number one draft prospect, uh, has three plus pitches. His splitter could be a plus plus pitch, which is really interesting. He's got really good control. All the pieces are there. The performance has been really good for Auburn. Um, just seems to be, you know, plug him into that Detroit system, which is actually already pretty pitching heavy between Franklin Perez, who hasn't pitched yet this year, uh, Matt Manning. Uh, Alex Fado, their their first round pick last year, Bo Burrows. Uh, but you put Mize in there, he could legitimately be the best pitching prospect in that group and could move very quickly. You know, Detroit's in the middle of a rebuild right now. Um, but to, to get Mize in there, see him progress, maybe, you know, a late 2019, early 2020 arrival for him would be really cool and really interesting. So as of now, you know, there's there's always going to be rumors popping up. Maybe he won't. He picked there. That could be negotiation tactic, whatever. I would be really surprised if he's not first overall. Uh, second overall to the Giants looks like Joey Bart right now, uh, Georgia Tech catcher, uh, a guy with pretty good power for the position, can feel the position really well. Uh, if he were to go to the Giants, which, again, everybody seems to be kind of pointing in that direction right now, uh, he would be the obvious heir apparent to uh, Buster Posey. Uh, again, you know, college pick, could move kind of quick, 21 years old. Uh, built like a house at six foot three, two twenty-five. You know, all the pieces are there for him to get up there quick. And you know, what happens with Posey if that were to happen? Those are questions for another day. Uh, but it, it is really interesting to me that the Giants, you know, who are a system right now that could use anything. You know, they could use the highest ceiling talent they can get if they were to take Bart, who is basically just going to take over for their franchise cornerstone the last couple of years. Um, that would be an interesting pick. Then it kind of falls off from there. I mean, there's some other interesting names. One I'm going to be watching is Nick Madrigal, uh, a guy out of Oregon State. Second baseman could be a shortstop potentially. Everybody likes to talk about how he's kind of short. He's five foot seven, 160 pounds. Does he fit into that Altuve, Pedroia mode of you know being a scrapper, being a guy who's going to get his hits? He definitely has plus plus hit tool, um, kind of a, a little bit like Keston Hira in that way, uh, plus runner. Could he eventually move to shortstop? We'll have to see. Hira had some questions about his arm. Uh, specifically with his elbow. Uh, Madrigal doesn't have those. He's much more healthy. Uh, what does that mean for him where he kind of falls? Uh, another one is uh, coming out of Wisconsin, Jared Kelenic. Uh, there's never been a Wisconsin high schooler who was taken in the top 10 picks. Kelenic right now is number 10 overall in MLB.com's draft list. Just a super toolsy outfielder, uh, plus hit tool, could have hit for average power. Pretty good speed, good arm in the outfield. Uh, again, all the pieces are kind of there for him to be a high pick. And, you know, the fact that he's only 18, he's not turned 19 until July. Uh, you know, he'd be a bit of a project, but our team's going to bite early on him, make him, you know, the kind of crown jewel of Wisconsin baseball for kind of years to come. That'll be really interesting. Uh, one other thing that's kind of interesting to me is that there aren't really any shortstops. Uh, in these first couple of picks, normally we think of shortstop as such a premium position and teams are willing to draft shortstops a little bit higher. We saw that last year, Royce Lewis, first overall pick as a shortstop. Uh, you don't go until 
I think Bryce Terang at number 25, and that's when you find a real shortstop in this group. Um, it could just be a down year for that. You know, maybe, like I said, Magical right now is listed as a second baseman. Maybe a team wants to try him out just to see how that works. Uh, in the lower minors, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, but, you know, as much as, you know, certain talents are certainly there, like I mentioned, you know, with, uh, you know, Mize and Madrigal and, and Bart in terms of like top five picks, uh, you know, a, a lot could be thrown into chaos pretty quickly on Monday. And, and I'm going to be going in with an open mind. I'll be there myself uh, in the room, which is always fun. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see where some of these guys fall and, and what they do to their farm systems after that. I am uh, really interested to see the prep talent in this class. Um, as of right now, the top three graded draft talents in the class, according to MLB Pipeline, are all college guys and Casey Mize, Brady Singer out of Florida, and Nick Madrigal from Oregon State. Um, but Matthew Liebertor, left-hander out of Mountain Ridge High School in Arizona, is the fourth-ranked prospect and the top-ranked left-handed pitching prospect and is a stud. He last year, uh, and I'll be up front, I'm very interested in a lot of these guys because the vast majority of them, it seems like, played on the 18-under U.S. national team last year at the U18 base. Baseball World Cup and I was on the broadcast for those games and that team was so stupidly talented and Libertor who threw 12 shutout innings in that tournament including six in the championship game against Korea he is really I mean the type of guy who you can just tell at 18 years old um, is already way ahead of his years in terms of pitchability and that was one of the things I remember Matthew Blood the national team director for the U18 team last year for USA Baseball said about him is he's the type of guy we don't really need to coach a lot you put him out there he kind of knows what he's doing he's a lefty he's got great stuff as like the official dog of the show before the show podcast says hello in the background with a nice shake of the collar Um, but he's a really interesting prospect um Bryce Turing, you mentioned as a shortstop prospect, he was one of the most intriguing talents on that roster to me and was really, really good. I think he led uh, the U.S. team in hitting. He hit something like 365 uh, for the, the U.S. team, the U18 World Cup. Um, there's an outfielder on that roster who was um, terrific as well, uh, and Michael Ciani, who was the um, Pennsylvania Gatorade Player of the Year in the high school ranks this year. So there are a lot of really talented prep guys who you might not see go quite as high but Bryce Terang and Matthew Libertor are probably the two to keep your closest eye on Jared Kellenick is part of that group as well one other name to keep in mind Tristan Cassis who is a first base prospect out of American Heritage High School in Florida Um, he's listed as the 20th ranked prospect overall coming into the draft but I think is the top ranked first base prospect going into the draft and he's the type of guy who the bat is his calling card he's a very adequate defensive first baseman but he is a very very impressive offensive prospect he drove in 13 runs and hit three homers for the U.S. team during that tournament the U.S. scored 50 runs in the entire tournament he drove in 13 of them and I mean the power is top-notch power and it's graded right now I think MLB pipeline has him as a 55 in terms of his power tool but as that grows I mean he's right now listed at 6'4 238 and he's 18 years old so that's the type of guy who could still maybe put on an inch or two in height but could certainly put on 15 to 20 pounds of muscle and he's going to be a behemoth for whoever gets him might fit better in an American League organization because he's somebody who really is going to be limited to first base but the bat is such a weapon uh, but that's somebody to really keep an eye on and another guy 
a name a lot of people might remember, especially on the East Coast, but former Major Leaguer Casey Weathers. Casey Weathers' son, Ryan Weathers, is another left-handed pitcher who was also on that U.S. team and has some really impressive stuff as well. Um, but kind of a, a big-body lefty. He's only listed at 6'2", 210, but he's sort of built like his father, where he's just a, a wide-body type of guy, somebody who seems like he could eat up a lot of innings and be pretty dynamic in that regard. Um, so there's some really interesting prep talents coming out of the, the high school ranks this year as well. And it's going to be an interesting first round to watch because like you said I mean there are prospects in spots where you think ordinarily we'd see top five or top ten draft selections maybe we won't see those positions get picked real high but some of the depth in those spots like shortstop middle of the first round and beyond might be a little bit better than what we've seen in recent years even though there might not be that same elite level in talent Uh, but this is going to be a a fun and interesting first round and uh, oh by the way everybody's favorite um, college baseball player name for the last few years finally coming out into the draft this year Seth Beer Clemson first baseman right now ranked as the 45th overall talent uh, according to MLB Pipeline going into the 2018 draft so Seth Beer in case you were wondering where he would finally end up. Will the Milwaukee Brewers take Seth (laughs) Beer, or will the Chicago White Sox pair him with Jake Berger? We will find out. We will see. Um, Strike two this week, Sam. We're looking back on the 2017 draft as we talk a little bit of 2018. 2017, there's still obviously a lot, even just shaking out from what we saw through the first round of last year's draft, but... Of the prospects that we've seen jump in, there are already guys who have made pretty significant impacts early on in their career. You think of Royce Lewis and Mackenzie Gore, guys who are already in full season ball. Brendan McKay has already climbed to Class A advance. Hunter Green, right on track, it seems like right now. He turned in his longest outing of his pro career this week uh, for Class A Dayton. But what are the the highlights right now when you look back on the 2017 draft of the early selections and through that first round? Yeah. So, um, you know, when Royce Lewis was taken first overall last year, it, it, I won't say it was a shock necessarily, but he wasn't somebody I had on the very, very short list uh, to go to the twins. You know, McKay, Green, even Gore was kind of there, uh, at least in terms of who I thought was deserving talent wise of getting first overall pick. Uh, but Royce Lewis has certainly shown, you know, that he is worthy, not necessarily being the first overall pick, but as being one of the most exciting prospects in baseball right now. Uh, he's climbed up to 19 overall uh, after being, I think, the fifth or sixth ranked dra- draft prospect in that class. Uh, you know, Entering today, he was hitting 309 with a 770 OPS, uh, 13 stolen bases in 38 games at Class A Cedar Rapids. Uh, and, and, you know, He's not turning 19 until June 5th, um, so he's still almost as young as some of these high school picks. Uh, who are going this year. Um, so, you know, he got a little bit of experience last year. Class A Cedar Rapids, 18 games at the end of last year. Uh, he's creeping up on basically a half season of full season ball already uh, and has handled himself extremely well, showing a, a really good hit tool and some plus speed. Um, so, you know, for a guy who seemed like kind of a, a sign for the Twins who, you know, they wanted to save some money, they – they decided to take him knowing that they could kind of stash that for later picks and use it as part of their bonus pool. Um, you know, they, they seem to have hit a really strong guy there at number one overall. One who uh, who has really climbed in my eyes and who isn't a top 100 prospect yet, but I would not be surprised if he's there by the end of the season. Uh, wasn't even a first round pick. It was second rounder Griffin Canning taken 47th overall by the Angels. You know, people who've listened in recent weeks know that we've talked about how the Angels have gotten super aggressive with some of their prospects. 
And they moved up Canning from Class A Advanced Inland Empire to Double A Mobile after only two starts. You know, part of that is getting him out of the the California League. I get that, um, but you know, this is a guy coming out of UCLA. Uh, you know, put up some strong numbers there. A lot of people thought he was legitimately a first-round talent, and he got knocked down to the second round because, uh, according to you know some reports, that there were some things that popped up in pre-draft MRIs with him. Uh, and you never really want to roll the dice in terms of sketchy health when it comes to pitchers uh, in today's day and age. You know, sometimes guys go in the first round after getting Tommy John, but that's when you know that they've already had the surgery and you can kind of guide them through canning. The, the reports are kind of sketchy on exactly what it was, but it was enough to scare, you know, 46 teams off basically until the Angels got him at 47. Uh Slowly climbing his way up, like I said, already at Double A Mobile, but has a 1.72 ERA there, 35 strikeouts in 31 and a third innings, uh, 1.02 WHIP. He's already been involved in not one but two no hitters as a starting pitcher. Um, you know, part of that is that you know he handed it off to the bullpen, and the bullpen really took it from there. Um, the, the Angels are being cautious with him. He hasn't pitched more than five and two thirds innings in a start this year. But the stuff, by all reports, is still there. Um, you know, as cautious as, as they're being, the results are there as well. Um, so, you know, for, for a second-round pick, and again, you know, when the Angels were making that pick, they needed as much talent as they could. They were willing to, to take a gamble, and, you know, as cautious as they've been with him, it really start, seems to be paying off. So, uh, you know, when you look at some of these other picks made in the top 46, I think a lot of people are going to be, you know, bummed out in a couple of years that they missed a chance to take Canning. Um, one of the guys who has stood out to me since he was taken with the ninth overall pick last year was Keston Hyura of the Milwaukee Brewers organization, who this year's climbed to Class A advance last year. And he's a UC Irvine product and a guy who had a lot of helium toward the draft last year, I think made his climb at the right time of year um, and pushed himself into not only the first round conversation, but the top 10, top five pick conversation. He's just a very polished guy. And when you look at him, he's the top ranked prospect in that Milwaukee system right now. And very short obviously his his career so far um, but what he's been able to do offensively last year between his two stops kicked off the season in the AZL at rookie ball and then jumped up to Wisconsin in the Midwest League at full season ball played 42 combined games between those 42 games he batted 371 422 611 a 1033 OPS he hit four homers he's already out homered that total there was first 48 games this year, and he's hitting 299, 362, 487 for Carolina in the Carolina League. Um, I think Kesson Hyer, I know coming out of school, there were some questions. He had had some elbow issues. There was the potential maybe that at some point he was going to have to undergo Tommy John surgery, which as an infielder doesn't worry you quite as much as what it would be if you were a pitcher, of course. But, um, you know, still obviously something that the Brewers were aware of when they selected him. It's been nothing but good returns so far from Kesson Hyer. He really intrigues me because he's the type of guy who seems like there's not quite as long a road to travel for him between where he is right now and what he's eventually going to need to be to graduate to the major league level um so he could be a quick riser through that system he's already made some good climbs um joe adele as well in the angels organization um you know kind of a last year i know was really deemed sort of a high risk high reward guy uh but he has been really good so far in his pro debut also one of the few guys who milb.com is headshot he's not wearing a hat and I'm not sure exactly <laughs> why that is. Um, but Joe Adele combined uh, started the year with Burlington in the Class A Midwest League. 326, 398, 611 was a slash line through 25 games. Since jumping up to the Cal League, he struggled a little bit offensively, but that's kind of to be expected when you're tested at that level at 19 years old for the first time. Um, but Joe Adele, a, a pretty good selection so far for that Angel system that, 
talked about this last week. If you would have told us three, four years ago, well, the Angels, they're going to put themselves in the conversation to be a top 10, if not top five system minor league baseball. We'd be like, yeah, maybe a decade from now. But that system, man, they have they have really started to hit. And uh, they've hit on a lot of picks, and Joe Adele is certainly one of them. Um, so these are the types of things that can make pretty significant and quick impacts in organizations um, when you nab some talent early on in the Major League Baseball first-year player draft. And round number one is coming up on Monday. Is it just round one on Monday? Um, I think it's the first round two one and rounds. Two, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I can never remember which, you know, they've every draft is different now. It used to be in the Major League Baseball draft, they used to do like 65 rounds on the first day, and then they do the next 300 on day two. And then it was like the final 3,000 rounds of the draft. Everybody in the United States of America actually gets drafted in the Major League Baseball draft. <laughs> there was, an onion, there was an onion headline a few years ago about that. There was like area man unaware he was selected in 49th round of Major League draft. Um, it's kind of what it feels like sometimes. But keep an eye on all the best talent, which will be going on Monday in the early going of the 2018 Major League Baseball first-year player draft. And strike three this week, Sam. We uh, are nearing the end of the month of May, recording this on Wednesday the 30th. And uh, 30 days has September. We got one more day in May, as the nursery rhyme is reminded me. Um, but the the players of the month of May, I think each of us have some pretty easy selections for this, and maybe it seems like cop-outs in that regard, but it's just because they've been so good. Uh, who is your your selection for the month of May? Yeah, people are going to be super surprised that I'm doing this, I guess. Uh, either that or they're yelling at their radios in their cars right now. Just like, just say it, get it over with. Um, mine's Vlad Guerrero Jr. Oh, no way. I know. I know. I, I, I kind of kicked myself because before so we came on, I said, okay, let me just double check to make sure, you know, th- who I pick is going to be who I want. And I went to, you know, leaders in May for minor league baseball and who's leading an average in OPS and – yeah, it's, it's Vlad. Um, he's just so good. Yeah, a, as of right now, he's batting 462 <laughs> in the month of May through 27 games. This is not some like small sample. These are this is through 116 plate appearances. You know, in, he's at 104 at bats. He's gotten hits in 48 of them. That's just crazy. It doesn't happen. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Uh, you know, so add in, he's reached base in exactly half of his plate appearances. He's got an on-base percentage of 500, a slugging percentage of 817. And this is in the Eastern League. This isn't in the PCL. This isn't in the Cal League. We can't just say, like, oh, well, he's hitting in the hangar in Lancaster. Of course, this is going to happen. You know, New Hampshire, Hartford. You know, Hartford's a pretty good hitter's park. But yeah. it's still kind of cold at the beginning of May. This is not, you know— Oh, hitting yeah, no. in band nothing, boxes. nothing has been working in favor of Vlad. He's just this good. Yeah, I mean, that's really good. the truth. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. Actually, I know this to be true. He's reached base in all 27 games this month. I think he's on a 36 game on base streak. Uh, you know, with the official stats, it's pretty good. Pretty good. To, to choose anybody else, at least to begin this segment, Tyler has to pick somebody else because that's how we work on this I show. Do. Um, I do. But. You know, to choose anybody else would just be fooling you guys. You guys know it's Vlad. I can't imagine he'll be the June player of the month because I don't think he's going to still be there at the end of June. Um, but for now, yeah, he's my Wait, player. Wait, do you month. think he's not going to be in the minor leagues at all at the end of June? I, I don't. Ah. I, that might, I don't feel like that's a hot take anymore. Okay. It, it I mean, feels like it should be a hot Hampshire. take. Like, like he hasn't even he hasn't gone anywhere. What so do you mean think, he hasn't Is he going to leapfrog Buffalo? 
Yes. You think he's there? Well, not no, even I, given the thought. See, I don't think he would. I don't th- necessarily think he would. I think he could go up to Buffalo for like for a little like three, bit. Okay. Then, okay. Yeah, I guess like it is, kind of you know, like Raphael I mean, Devers did the same thing at the same true. position with like the same questions. That's true. Uh, with the Red Sox, you know, oh, he's getting called up to Tuckett. You know, could he? Well, they always said like, could he leapfrog to Tuckett? And then he got like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but basically a, a handful of games to Tuckett, and then they moved him up anyway. True. Um, it just seems like the, the Jays are pushing in that direction of, you know, they're probably going to be sellers by the end of June. Um, there was Vlad Guerrero Sr. tweeted the other day, June is coming, which was very cryptic. Oh. Yeah. So I, I just don't think we're going to have him as our June maybe, player of the month of Maybe Myers. Vlad Sr. is just a big fan of the month of June. You know. He could be. That's when somebody brought it to my attention. I thought like maybe he's just being yeah, super off. Yeah, man, June's coming. Yeah, almost. It's, there. it's a warm month. It's the it's start of summer. Month. Like, maybe he's just excited for my birthday. It could be. We all <laughs> we're all excited for your birthday. <laughs> Least of all me. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, yet another son of a former major leaguer, um, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Antonio Missions. The numbers. Not quite Vlad-esque, but not that far behind, really, when you look at him in comparison. But one of the reasons why I decided to go with him over some of the other guys who would have been in this conversation, his numbers in May compared with his numbers in April. 24 games in April. Keep in mind, 19 years old as well for Fernando Tatis Jr. 177, 231, 333 is slash line. It's a 564 OPS, three homers, 10 RBIs, but he struck out 34 times against six walks in 24 games. 27 games in the month of May, 351, 427, 649. With 1077 OPS, he's hit six homers this month. He has doubled 12 times, including six times in his last seven games, his current seven-game hitting streak. I think he's got hits in 22 of 27 games this month, Um, 12 multi-hit games, six three-hit games, including three over the last seven games for him. The impressive thing about Fernando Tatis Jr., is this his ability to get acclimated in very short order um, as he's climbing levels has been so impressive over his time in the minor leagues and last year with Fort Wayne it was like every single month he was getting better and better and better if there was one thing that he struggled at in May he was terrific at it in June if he struggled at something in June he was better at that in July so that's what's really impressed me over the course of his career Um, I talked to a scout who uh, saw him a decent amount early on this season in April and then saw him a little bit in May and said Everything about him is legit. He just needed some time to get it figured out, but he's, I mean, as good as everybody says. The the hit tool is really impressive. He plays a really smooth shortstop. Um, so I'm going with Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Antonio Missions, um, who is right now through 51 games, a 271-340-505 hitter, and that is after batting 177 with a 564 OPS through his first 24 games of the season. So pretty impressive stuff from those two guys and uh, two guys who you will see climbing the ladder, maybe one of them to the big leagues in very short order. And uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of Three Strikes on episode 162 of the show before the show. Coming up, we got a really uh, good conversation for you with one of the most interesting guys right now, in the game of baseball, Ryan Bollinger, a left-handed pitcher in the New York Yankees organization who was a big leaguer for a day last week, called up uh, as part of a Yankees trip and a doubleheader in Texas. Didn't get a chance to pitch, but hopefully the first of many calls to come for Ryan Bollinger, who has had one of the longest and most fascinating baseball careers that you will ever have heard of, and he's 27 years old and just got his first major league call. Ryan Bollinger joins the show coming up next.
Our guest on this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com is maybe the best traveled baseball player on the planet, and that is Ryan Bollinger of the New York Yankees organization. And Ryan joins us uh, currently from the you know the latest stage in a career that saw him called up to the big leagues after quite a road to get there. Um, Ryan, first off, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. This is really exciting for us to have you on because you've had one of the craziest, not just seasons, but last several years. But you're right on the heels right now of your first call. Um, to the major leagues and just kind of give us what this last week 10 day stretch has been like for you it's been a pretty crazy 10 days or however long it's been but it's uh i mean obviously it's something that you dream of since you're a little kid so it's uh it's pretty cool to actually get that opportunity Ryan, a left-hander in the Yankees organization right now. This season combined between Scranton, Wilkesbury, and Trenton in uh, AAA and AA, respectively, six games. Uh, all of them starts a three and one record, a two point one two ERA. And kind of the funny thing about Ryan's MILB.com page is it only lists four seasons of minor league baseball for Ryan, which is just a fantastic lie. But it's only four affiliated seasons of minor league baseball. Back in 2011 with Bristol and the White Sox organization, Great Falls in 2012, Canapolis in 2013. But before that, in between 2013 and 2018, like, give us just a laundry list of the places where you played baseball. Oh, uh, let me think. Uh, yeah, so when I was released from the White Sox, I went and played for the St. Paul Saints for a little bit and then went and played in Quebec in the Can-Am League for uh, Trois Rivières and then got traded there, which is kind of a funny story. I was actually traded for myself to Winnipeg. Wait a and minute, I was what? How does back that at work? The end of the season. <laughs> How do you get traded the, for yourself? The, uh, the trade later, and I just happened to be that player to be named later. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even That's know that awesome. was possible. That's and amazing. I didn't know it was possible either until I looked at the transaction list and saw Ryan Bollinger was traded for Ryan Bollinger. So I, uh, I printed off that uh, transaction sheet, and my uh, my parents have a scrapbook everywhere, so they kept that, and that's kind of a main page in there. Very cool. That is incredible. Look, so, there from, yeah. I got traded to, traded to Winnipeg, then traded back, <laughs> spent the next two seasons in Trois-Rivières, and then had an – and those winters that I was up there, I decided to go play kind of uh, like the like amateur baseball over in Australia, over in Perth, Australia. Kind of worked a side job while I was out there and then loved it. Played against a guy. I went out there two years, played against a guy that was in uh, – played for the Munich Car Disciples, the team that I played for last year. So he, uh, he asked Germany. if I wanted to come over and be a part of it. That's in Germany, yes. <laughs> and uh, – he, uh, he asked me if I wanted to be a part of it, and I said, sure, why not? I, you know, I'd been able to travel the world and play a game. It's, uh, I think it's pretty cool. And then played against a couple guys that played for the Brisbane Bandits, and they asked me if I wanted to come over, be a part of a third championship, and I uh, jumped at that opportunity. And about December, I got a contract offer from the Yankees, and uh, here I am just trying to do what I can to help our teams win and hopefully uh, get a shot back up at the big league level. And by the way, before all of that, before all of this, 
Ryan actually started his career in Indie Ball as well. That was back in 2010. He was initially drafted by the Phillies, but played uh, in the Frontier League in 2010, then got into the White Sox organization. So that was like the first step before all of that craziness. Um, so you've played now on, you know, three different continents in four different countries at least. Um, and you found yourself called up to be a part of the New York Yankees for a day. And obviously we certainly hope it's the first of call-ups and lengthy stays in the major leagues. But when you got that call, just take us through and we'll dive through some of your your past uh, baseball life here in a minute but the when you got told you've been in in the frontier league you've been in the can-am league you've been in the american association where you were apparently traded for yourself somehow you've been in brisbane and in <laughs> perth and you were in munich and now you're going to the new york yankees at 27 years old what went through your mind uh well the words i probably can't say on the radio <laughs> but uh <laughs> I kind of, kind of had to take a seat and kind of take it all in for a second. At first, I didn't believe it. Obviously, you get your your first major league call and you're just kind of blown away that. And then it was like instantly went to shaking. I told Jay, I, I told him he better not be lying to me, and kind of was at a loss for words really, and kind of had to fight back some tears. And yeah, it was it was an incredible feeling, and just getting that opportunity to get up there and get around. That club, those guys are awesome. I mean, they they took me in like I had been part of the club from day one. So that, I can't thank those guys enough for that. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, just to get that first initial call up, it really gives you that that taste for taste for the big leagues, obviously. And you just, for me, honestly, it makes me want to get back there even more. And it's crazy that I can actually say get back there now. <laughs> yeah, and let's talk about like what you've done along that journey to get there because you don't just you know travel all these places and you're rewarded with a major league opportunity. You had to develop as a pitcher. Um, so you know what allowed you to you know what or what adjustments did you make? What changes did you make? How are you a different p- pitcher now that allowed you to get this first contract with the Yankees and then you know through this these first couple starts between Scranton and Trenton that allowed you to even get a major league look in the first place. I really, it was just, went over to Australia and just, it kind of gave me a new love for the game again. Like it was one of those things where you play on Sundays. This is my first to Perth. You play on Sundays with the occasional midweek game and it just, you, you saw how hard those guys played and how much they loved playing through a 26-game season plus. But I think another six games with the playoffs, and you just see how much those guys love the game. They put all their effort into that short time frame. It's a long season. It ends up being about a six-month season because you're just playing on the weekends, and then you have the occasion. You have like three weeks off over Christmas, all that. And like I keep saying, it just you see how much those guys love the game and you see how much effort they put into every game. And that's kind of, that's, that's what I fell in love with. So really I'm taking that, everything I've learned and seeing just like the heart that they put in their games. And I'm trying to do that here, trying to bring a little bit of that, have fun with baseball feel back to kind of minor league baseball or major league baseball where that can be lost at times. 
and what Ryan's talking about there is not people are kind of familiar with the Australian Baseball League, and that's where Ryan played in Brisbane. But what he's talking about in Perth is a state league. I mean, that's basically kind of the equivalent of a men's league over here, where it's it's a little bit higher level competition, it's higher level stakes, and it kind of serves as a de facto minor league system for the Australian league. But that's not it's not like this was an off season league per se. There wasn't an affiliation there. I mean, that is grinded out. Those are guys who work you know nine to five jobs during the week, and like you said, play those weekend games or play once or twice during the week but those are regular guys I mean this isn't as though you were off and you were playing you know in in the Mexican Winter League or in Venezuela or somewhere else I mean that is that's not an easy existence to go down there and have that be your baseball life but that's the thing that kind of made you realize like no this is really what I love this is really what I want to do that's pretty remarkable yeah I mean just when you when you play one game a week you, you you finish that game on Sunday and then you just can't wait to get to the field and see the guys and just play that game on Sunday. Like you look forward to the whole week to play that one game. And then you play the game and then you now you wait for the next for the next week and you just kinda of go through it, just get that itch to get on the field every single day when actuality you're playing once a week, you know, but it it was great. I got to I got to do some coaching stuff which I, I fell in love with the coaching side of things and keep uh keep trying to do as much of that as I can and yeah, it just like I keep saying, it just gave me that new that new burst of energy and that new uh, new love for the game. Yeah, and when the when the Yankees approached you to sign you to a minor league contract and bring you back into affiliated baseball, at least stateside, uh, what did they say that stood out to them that said like, yeah, this is a, a guy we want to bring into our organization? Uh, well, the the scout that saw me, he, uh, he Troy Williams, he was over in Munich, and that's when I kind of got the first look and. They uh, he introduced himself to the New York Yankees, and I was kind of I was kind of blown away by that already because I'd never talked to anybody that had to do with this organization. And uh, yeah, they uh, just kept pitching. He kept coming to watch me pitch, and then eventually he said that, "But hey, man, I I really feel like you're a guy that we can see pitching in Yankee Stadium. So uh, we're going to give you give you an offer." So we kind of had we kind of had a verbal agreement, and then. Uh, once about Christmas time hit, the uh, the Yankees gave me a contract, and I jumped at that opportunity to sign that as soon as I could, and then uh, finished up the season in Brisbane, and pretty much came straight here. All right, right. Well, this is the week before the draft, and we've been doing a lot of talk on the show about draft stuff and all that. Um, you know, I want to take you back to your draft story in 2009. You went in the 47th round out of high school in North Dakota to the Phillies, like Tyler mentioned. That's a round that doesn't even exist anymore. And you initially were, I think, a first baseman, right? You were a hitter. You transitioned to the mound later with the White Sox. But um, what was your draft experience like going in the 47th round and, and deciding to sign you know, that late and, and at that point in your life? Um, you know, it was just it was an opportunity to to play a game that I, I I loved at that age for sure. And I mean, my dream was always to be a professional baseball player. It was never to be a be a college baseball player. So when I got that opportunity, I just it was something that I could uh, I could I could chase. You know, I could chase down something I've always wanted to do. And last week, I I finally had that opportunity to do what I've been trying to do my whole life. And I know it was short lived, but just to be on that radar and be able to potentially be that guy again is a great feeling. And like I said earlier, it just makes that short little taste I had just makes me want to, makes me want to get back up there more than ever. 
as Sam noted, you were a, a hitter coming out of high school and you go into pro ball, um, get a little taste of pro ball in the GCL. And then when you are getting set to go to indie ball, you decide to make this uh, a, an option for you to try to figure out a career and forge a path as a pitcher. What was the thought process going into that and how long did it take you to really feel comfortable? I mean, obviously it's something that you were familiar with going into that stage of your career, but thinking like, no, nah, maybe I'll be able to do this at the professional level. What was that transition like? Uh, well, uh, I mean, the stats are there with the, with the bat. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> anybody can see that and say, this guy could not hit his weight. So yeah, that, that was a pretty easy decision that I, <laughs> that I thought I would just, uh, I give throwing the ball a, a chance because in high school, I, I, I knew I, I threw kind of hard, but I didn't know anything about pitching. I just go up there, throw the ball, throw it as hard as I could, try to get it in the zone somewhere. And, uh, when I first signed they had me on the radar gun with the uh, independent team at the somewhat tryout or whatever you want to call it first day i was anywhere from 84 to 89 miles an hour and then they just said yeah we could work with that and then a lot of credit to those guys that kind of turned me into a little bit of a pitcher and then just with experience and over time i've just kind of figured out some different things i mean i've obviously played with a lot of different guys that have different things to say and kind of take a little bit from everybody and then uh just try to put that all and put everything that i've learned over the past uh, what is it now? almost 10 years and uh just try to put everything that i've learned into into my game today ryan when you are uh called to a major league job um what is the moment that you think was furthest from that i mean you play in australia you played a couple of different levels there playing any ball which we all know is not the most glamorous uh spots of existence in in baseball sometimes at the professional ranks you're playing in germany what's the thing that was the most anti-big league moment either the weirdest place that you played or maybe the weirdest like road hotel setup um germany i would imagine and people i mean there's relatively high level high level baseball in germany as far as the the pro league goes the bundesliga in germany but what's the thing that you think now yeah. if you could go back and tell yourself like you're gonna make it to the major leagues in globe life park one day what's the weirdest moment you would go back to to tell yourself that um i mean it was obviously it was a hard decision to kind of skip out on professional baseball in uh in between canada and the states but uh went over play when i was playing in germany we played a place in uh dorn germany it's north germany and it was a uh it was pretty much like playing at the field of dreams park in iowa but uh <laughs> definitely not near as nice it was uh it was a fun place to play because it was a town of about 900 people the whole town came out but it was a uh it was an experience i'll tell you that it was it was about as backyard baseball as it gets and that's kind of that feeling where it was like wow this is uh this is very far away from where i ideally would like to be one day and then <laughs> to kind of take that experience and then to walk out on that field the other day and kind of look around and Again, my first thought was a couple of words that I probably can't say, and it was just wow. Yeah, it was, it was, it's beyond words for me. Just that that feeling. I, I've been asked by my teammates and stuff, and it's it's one of those things that's so hard to describe. But it, it's something that, with all those different places that I've played and everything, I, I loved everywhere I played and. Even if it was good or bad, it's still it's still a story. It's still something to talk about when I'm older, and I can tell 
maybe one day tell my kids, like, oh, yeah, well, you can't really complain too much about your high school fields because this place one day. <laughs> <laughs> it is a pretty so incredible it's, uh, story. It was great. It's pretty incredible. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like to – the guys will ask me and they'll say, like, oh, you played in Germany and all that stuff. I don't like to talk about it too much. It's just – I was just playing the game just like everybody else, and I, we're all very lucky to be given the opportunity to play professional baseball, and I just I just took a little bit different route to get to where I'm at now. Well, and one of the cool things, too, and I'm sure you've probably already heard from a lot of these guys, but I bet there were a hell of a lot of guys that you played with in Germany and in Australia and in the indie ball ranks and all over the place. So you kind of carry a little piece of them with you, too, and you're the guy who made it. And it's cool, those brotherhoods that get formed when you're in the weirdest possible places trying to do something and, and hang in it because you love it and because you want to make it. When you make it, you sort of make it for them, too, and that's pretty amazing as well. Ryan Bollinger from Maple Grove, Minnesota, the birthplace, to Minot High School, North Dakota, 47th round draft selection of the Phillies through indie ball, through Germany, through Australia, and to the major leagues with the New York Yankees of all organizations. Ryan, we hope uh, the, the call last week is far from the last one of your career, and hopefully you'll be uh, in New York soon and, uh, and making it stick there, man. Congratulations and best of luck. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. One of the stories that I did not count on having um, repeat potential on this week's segment of our uh, Ben's Biz Banter on the Show Before the Show podcast was the Pedro Florimone fan club, but it is back. And we have more details on the Delmarva Shorebirds fan club for former Baltimore Orioles prospect Pedro Florimone, who has not been in the Orioles system for quite some time, certainly hasn't been in Delmarva for quite some time, um, and is currently with the Philadelphia Phillies. He is now 31 years old, is Pedro Florimone, who made his Major League debut back in 2011 with the Orioles. That was the only time that he spent at all um, at the big league level with the Orioles, and that was four games back in 2011. And he first visited Delmarva as a 20-year-old in 2007, but when Ben was in Delmarva, there's still a Pedro Flormone fan club going strong, and you've got more details on this now, Ben. Uh, yeah, you know, I, um, you guys might remember I kicked off my 2018 travels in Delmarva, and, you know, when I contact teams, um, you know, I modify my email for each team, and, um, you know, there's a lot of variables at play, but I usually, you know, hit on the same points, and one of them is saying, you know, I'm looking for story ideas, um, you know, related to what makes your team unique, and a lot of that can be, you know, uh, idiosyncratic fans. And, um, you know, in communicating with the team, they said, well, we do still have the Pedro Florimone fan club uh, who come to the game sometimes. And I was immediately like, yes, I want, <laughs> I want to write about that. Why does a class A team, uh, Delmarva still have a fan club for Pedro? Uh, you know, as you mentioned, he played for the Shorebirds in 2007 and uh, 2008. Um, so when I visited, I got out a tweet of a picture of some of the guys, you know, in the fan club and uh, got some pretty good traction. I put a photo of them in my blog. Um, but now that I'm wrapping up my uh, MILB.com feature stories from this trip, I thought, you know what? To uh, end my slate of features uh, for this particular leg, I'm taking it back to Delmarva and I'm going to provide more detail on the Pedro Florimon fan club. And it's basically, you know, the, the, the brainchild of one guy. A guy named Jeff Bacon, who, for whatever reason, really liked Pedro in 2007 when he was on the team uh, because of how good he was defensively. Which and, we, should, uh, we should toss in. That would be the calling card because that year, Pedro Florimon, 111 games, batted 197, 257, 272. So the glove was impressive. 
Yeah, he slugged under 300 in both yeah. his years with the with the Shorebirds. So his thing, you know, he's a member of the the larger team fan club, Booster Club, and he would try to sing the praise of the Pedro and and how special he was, you know, obviously in the field, and he got a lot of pushback of people saying like, nah. You know, he's no good. He'll never make it. He's not getting above class A. So he said, you know what? You know, I'm going to be a I'm, if you guys don't like him, you know, like, hey, haters, like we're going to take this even further. So he starts a fan club uh, for Pedro, brings a bed sheet to the ballpark that says Pedro Florimond fan club, you know, with Pedro's number two number. Uh, later on, there was another bed sheet that said, you know, number two is number one. Somehow, in the in the as the years go by, they start adding all sorts of toys and trinkets and putting them on the railing from which the bedsheet hangs. So you have rubber chickens and turtles and like a, a monkey and a mastodon and a Barbie and a Cadillac and a and a, a doll named Esmeralda, Esmeralda who apparently has magical powers. And it's all part of this goofy uh, Pedro Florimond fan club. So he left the team after 2008. You know, got promoted, never played Class A again. But these guys still show up at the ballpark as the Pedro Florimond fan club and I still think they're you know they're rubbing it in the faces of all those people who 10 years ago said that Pedro was never going to make it their presence every time they show up at the park is saying guess what you were wrong we love Pedro and that's all I got is, is that all it is though is that they're just rubbing it in people's faces about this one player I mean do they do they like take on a player a year I mean I know they don't change the name of the club but no do they decide like there's one guy on the team now we're gonna root for or no every number two who's on the team has no to be... no they just stick with Pedro <laughs> it's just like such a long grudge to to have I mean they, they were right obviously like the the chance a class a guy makes it all the way majors is pretty low a guy who's Slugging below 300 for that to happen is also even lower. But this is just a 11 years now to hold this grudge. I mean, it's it's partially a grudge, but partially just a pure celebration of, of Pedro. You know, so you'd say it's like half grudge oriented and half uh, celebratory. You know, it, it's a yin and yang of, of uh, the human condition. Have, have the Shorebirds ever reached out? I mean, obviously he's busy right now. Like you said, he's with the Phillies. He's in the major leagues. He's got other things to do, but. Have they ever had like a Pedro Florimond bobblehead night or something else to celebrate these guys and their love of him? No, I think they're so cultish at the ballpark. And, you know, 10 years later, they're not there all the time. And uh, as you mentioned, Pedro only played four games for the Orioles. So he didn't really make an impact for a larger uh, fan giveaway. Um, so I just think the the team is just content to let these guys do their thing. And, you know, I said, like, did you know, what was Pedro's reaction to all this? And they're like, well, he had very limited, you know, English. We never really spoke to him about it. But, uh, you know, it, it seemed that he liked it. So let's hope <laughs> let's hope that Pedro uh, liked it. And, uh, you know, if I had a little more time to put this together, uh, maybe I could reach out to the Phillies and or maybe we can do that later. Uh, see if I can get a get Pedro on the line and say, like, what do you think about these middle aged men in Delmarva who still uh, bring a bed sheet <laughs> still, to the game? They're still flying the flag high for yeah. Pedro Flormone's career, which uh, Pedro, by the way, most recently, um, like we said, member of the Philadelphia Phillies nowadays, 32 games this year for the Phils for being a guy who at Delmarva in 2007 struggled offensively as a major league hitter. The last couple of seasons with the Phillies um, has done pretty well for himself this year 32 games batting 268 328 500 for the Phils. so he's like actually got to figure it out in two seasons in philly he's a 304 355 490 hitter the 490 slugging percentage in the major leagues when he slugged under 300 each season in delmarva minor league baseball is weird man yeah, and not to mention he, he has pitched twice yeah for the Phils. yeah he's that guy 
And he's now on the DL because last night he fouled a ball off his foot. <laughs> oh, broken foot. Just saw that. Wah, wah. Well, this is – we can't – at least nobody can claim that we jinxed him. It happened before we recorded. Uh, well, let's move along. The, uh, the name the team finalists are here for the ball club that will call Amarillo, Texas home coming up in the 2018 season. The, uh, the ballpark and affiliation and franchise shuffle, as we've covered many a time. The AA affiliation currently residing in San Antonio, Texas, will move to Amarillo, Texas in 2018. AAA Colorado Springs' AAA team will move to San Antonio, take up shop there. Rookie-level Helena will go to uh, Colorado Springs, where they will be part of the Pioneer League. But Amarillo... Is where we find ourselves in discussion today, um, and the obviously very brandiose uh, team name finalists are in, and they are as followed: these five, which you can vote on at amarilloprobaseball.com. The Amarillo Boot Scooters, Bronk Busters, Jerky, Long Haulers, and Sod Poodles. Um, your thoughts? Well, you know, I will say that uh, this is. You know, for listeners of the show, uh, you know, who are familiar with the rebranding process, particularly when Brandios is involved, um, Tyler, like you mentioned, this is very much uh, their formula. You get thousands of entries in a name the con- uh, name the team contest. You don't pick the five most popular. You know, uh, according to the fans, you pick five that uh, you see potential in from a marketing and branding standpoint, while also knowing that the immediate reaction from the fans who maybe don't know this formula and, uh, you know, how minor league baseball works will be incredibly negative off the bat, which, of course, it has been today, um, you know, particularly locally in Amarillo. Uh, so, you know, I think we're all used to this from a, from looking at this from a national perspective, but it's funny to see it play out and the same sorts of comments that you get, you know, fire your marketing director and start over and these couldn't have ever been submitted and what are you thinking and blah, blah, blah. You know, I've learned to take it all with a grain of salt and try to envision what it could become. Uh, I think... My favorite is long haulers, uh, I guess just because, you know, it speaks to being on the road and it's a reference to Route 66, which as Sam pointed out earlier in the day, we already have a team called the 66ers, but uh, this is a a mere reference to Route 66, uh, long haulers. Um, Sod poodles, if I was betting, is the one that I would think they go with um, because that's a term for a prairie dog. So you just think, um, you know, what a, a logo and mascot featuring a prairie dog could look like seems uh, pretty much in the spirit of uh, minor league baseball's uh, family-friendly fun. Um, I wish I could take credit for this one, but uh, Jason Schwartz, who is the radio voice of the Lancaster Jetox in California League, we were texting we have a, a long anything that has to do with nerdy uniform stuff and logo stuff and the miners jason and i are always texting about his suggestion was the armadillos which i think is obviously not brandios friendly at all but the amarillo armadillos i wish i could take credit for that but that is like the perfect that flows better than maybe any name in minor league baseball just a thought um i would go bronc busters by the way i think the the imagery of like a cowboy breaking wild horses i think that would lend itself to some pretty cool stuff Okay, person from Denver. Well, I, but see, that doesn't make any sense because Bronk Buster, that would be like, ah, uh, ah. you know, like that's that's the antithesis, Sam. Yeah, so you wouldn't that. want a team called the Red Sox Destroyers. Exactly, <laughs> like the the Red Sox Bleachers. I don't know what you would do with, with the, or as we call them, in, in, you know, the uh, the opposite of the Celtics is the Oliver Cromwells. But that's a that's a deep cut Irish joke. <laughs> it's a very deep cut. Um, Ben, what are the odds that uh, we see a, a Gwinnett situation happen here where everybody hates all these and they go with something else? 
You know, uh, I was literally on my way to do this podcast. Uh, I was stopped by um, Jordan, uh, one of the two individuals who make up Cespedes Family Barbecue who work on the fifth floor of this building. And uh, Jordan asked the exact same question. Like, are they going to go with these or are we going to see a Gwinnett and uh, go with something else? I don't think we're going to see what Gwinnett did very often, which is name the finalists and then go with something else. Yeah, I feel like um, that's a risky, that's a slippery slope for Brandy O's then. Yeah, and, and, and in Gwinnett's case, it's because Big Mouths was one of the finalists, and that's right. what they legitimately chose internally, and they really liked the fish uh, logo and the imagery they could do with fish, the fish, the Big Mouth bass. Um, but the more they said the name Big Mouths and thought about answering the phone, Big Mouths Baseball, uh, you realize it just – it's a mouthful. It's it's hard to say. So they took the unorthodox step of saying, well, let's go with the big mouths motif, but turn it to, into something which is a little easier to say, which is when they went with stripers uh, for striped bass. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see that as the new normal of <laughs> showing here's the five finals and then go with something else completely. But if there's anything we've all learned through minor league rebranding over the last, particularly the last five years, it's that, you know, it's always surprising uh, the directions that teams can go. And what just a few years ago we thought that would never happen is now just like, oh, of course they'll do that. Right. It was like Lynchburg a couple of years ago. Lynchburg was going to change its name. And yeah. They put out five That's finalists cool. and they're like, no, just kidding. We're going to be a Hillcats. Not that that can happen here, obviously. There isn't. There, there is no original Amarillo name. Yeah. Well, a lot from. of people do want the Gold Sox, which was uh, a previous minor league incarnation. Sure. Yeah. And year after year, it makes the story of the New Hampshire primaries that much weirder and that much more of a bummer because that would have been a fantastic minor league name. And that was in the early days of the crazy names and the uproar forced them to change it. Now they're the Fisher Cats, but turn it into kind of a legendary thing. But if you, Amarillo, Texas fan, would like to go down to the ballpark next year and cheer on your friendly neighborhood jerky, the option is out there right now for you to vote. You guys, I think jerky is actually my favorite. Although jerky really? also sounds like something they'll do like once a month as a what if night. Right. Yeah. That kind of, you know, it's the food thing. Right. I guess. Also, it says commemorating its famous cattle drive, which I'm assuming it says there's only one region that can lay claim to the beef capital of the world. When I think of a cattle drive and I think of beef capital of the world, I don't think jerky. Like if it was... I guess you can't go with T-Bones. There's a there's an independent team named the T-Bones. But, like, what about the porterhouses? Flows just as well as boot scooters. <laughs> it does. And I think a piece of meat on a, on a jersey would look real good. Yeah. Also, everybody go out there and Google boot scooters and just see what you see. Because <laughs> we were trying to figure out what a boot scooter is as well. And it's literally just the things that come up are those things people push around when they have like a bum knee or something or an injured ankle. Yeah, wow, literal. I would lit not have even thought of that. I think of that atrocious country song as they all are, Boot Scootin' Boogie. You've never heard, that's like the most New York thing I've ever heard, that you had to Google what Boot Scooters was in reference to a Texas baseball team. Well, yeah, we did. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 and let's say that the team's um, description uh, of this. That, of this, that is uh, true. The Boot Scooters combines Amarillo's genuine welcoming attitude with its fun Western heritage. <laughs> that is Which true. Is that, that gives you nothing to go off. Generic, yeah. That is I don't true. know what to go off. That is true. The Boot Scooters embraces that this is a baseball team in the state of Texas. Um, so you can vote now, AmarilloProBaseball.com. Um, ben, new Tops Pro debut cards coming out today. The Ben's Biz set 
Um, there are a whole lot more rolling out, including some friends of, uh, of the podcast and MILB.com, including Sean McCall, the Lake Elsinore Storm. Um, tell us about some of the new ones coming out. Yeah, you know, this I, I got to do this last time, last year for the first time, and it was a, a huge career highlight for me. A uh, Ben's Biz insert set within the Tops Pro debut. Uh, this time around, the Tops, uh, the insert set is uh, ten cards within the larger Pro debut set, and uh, yeah, it, it just came out today. And I haven't seen the cards yet, so uh, I need to, uh, you know, talk to Tops and actually be able to see the cards. And I will be covering this uh, a lot in the near future. But for now, the only card I've seen is mine, which Tops tweeted yesterday, which is me shirtless riding the lazy river. And uh, I guess I'm having second thoughts now of <laughs> why I submitted that as what as my baseball card for 2018, particularly because the shot that I submitted was more horizontal and I was a little bit back in the frame and it showed the ballpark and the larger scene. But uh, what they did with it was turn it vertical and went went closer in on me. So it's just me in an inner tube shirtless. If you've ever wanted that baseball card, um, although what would, let's explain to the people what you had last year for your specific baseball. Card. And, and last year I was uh, throwing out a roll of toilet paper right, uh, so. for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers uh, salute to paper night. Um, but yeah, uh, we will we can talk about this again in the future. But um, you know, I just look at individuals and things I've written about over the past year and uh, submit some ideas to tops that would make good baseball cards to truly celebrate aspects of the game that don't get you know celebrated in that fashion. Uh, so we do have Lake Elsinore Storm announcer Sean McCall. There's actually two from Lake Elsinore. Also the uh, ace, the fastest squirrel in the world, who retired last year. He now has his own tops card, um, a card devoted to the Columbia Fireflies and the uh, Eclipse Delay game that I was in attendance for last year uh the bat boy for the Charleston River Dog Steve uh who um you know a teenage kid who dances as much as he can between innings and uh has developed a following for that um Aaron Bishop, the man who plays uh, Tremor, the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes mascot, um, really popular uh, teacher at a local high school who lives his double life as a mascot, and so on and so forth. So um, I'll be covering these cards a lot more and looking to get my hands on some in the very near future. All that coming up on the site and the blog. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Benjamin Hill's on Twitter at bensbiz. And again, the Amarillo vote is at amarilloprobaseball.com. And uh, Ben, we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy it. We will, and I'd like to point out, uh, you know, which I forgot to say at the beginning of this uh, yeah, we can't be segment. Doing this in, during yeah, the last segment anymore. Yeah, uh, Sam Dykstra is sitting to my right. Right this week, left last week, which we forgot to note and had to include posthumously for this segment after the death of this, after the death of this segment, we had to include it in the <laughs> next segment. Um, and uh, so, right this week, I feel like yeah, and I will say, a, Sam, it's, it's, it's left. He's to my right this week, but he put his bag on the chair that I. Oh, that like would make him to my left, basically saying you have to be, you know, he he basically left me one option. Yes, that, that, where I put my bag is where is I'm thinking of you every time. Ben. Right. Well, I'm not going to come in and take your bag off the chair. So. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks, Ben. Hey, thanks, guys.
A big thanks once more uh, to one of the most interesting guys in the game of baseball, Benjamin Hill. Ryan Bollinger <laughs> of the New York Yankees for joining the show. Ben as well. Ben's on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. And um, Ryan's story, he is now back in the minor leagues. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think kind of knowing when you're a guy who gets a call like that, that the organization sees you as somebody who, yeah, in a pinch, maybe we can go to this guy if we really need him. Um, that's a pretty valuable thing to have on your side. Right now he's back with Trenton, um, but he did make two appearances in AAA earlier this year uh, with the Rail Riders, and so you know maybe a climb to the highest level of the minor leagues. He actually started his season with the Rail Riders, made a couple of starts back on April 24th and April 29th. But a big thanks to Ryan, and wherever we see him down the road, um, hopefully another trip to the big leagues for him is in the offing. And um, if so, you won't even need MILB.TV to watch him. But where he is right now, you can watch him on MILB.TV, which uh, shows you all of the best in minor league baseball. And uh, Sam, what are you watching on MILB.TV this week? Do you think the Bundesliga in Germany for Germany baseball, do you think they have an MILB.TV? Okay, so of course I would happen to have found something that – answers this question um and kudos to this guy and i am <laughs> i am not a person who ever is like hey kudos to this redditor but there is a reddit thread from 10 months ago from a guy who wrote about ryan bollinger of the munich hard disciples who was pitching against the stuttgart reds and set the bundesliga record for most strikeouts in a season when he recorded his 165th of the year and the word that is in front of batter, which I'm assuming in German means struck out batter, something like that, is E-I-N-H... Oh, no, wait. This must mean 165th. Never mind. I'm under <laughs> foot von Zeigziger. I don't know what it... It's got to be 165th. I thought it was for strikeout. Me know how German is. It's like you just string together 19 words, push them all as one, and make that the new word. But this guy um, was in attendance at this game in Munich and overheard a broadcaster mention the record for EuroBaseballTV.com and then he linked to EuroBaseballTV.com and later on he posted in this thread that he figured out that apparently it's just an American guy who lives in Munich, does this as a hobby. Not only does he do the game broadcast, he actually runs the direction as well. So he like runs the cameras too. Mm pulls up graphics cues replays runs a switcher all that type of stuff his name is tim collins um and he's got a uh, a twitter account at euro baseball tv and his most recent tweet is about ryan bollinger from may 23rd the yankees pr department tweeted the roster move and tim collins tweeted a whole bunch of baseball loving kids in germany are freaking out right now go ryan but if you go to eurobaseballtv.com he's got a game coming up tomorrow may 31st i'm assuming this is local time this is uh heidenheim versus uh har and uh those two teams oh and har is apparently munich har which is the disciples um and ryan played in munich as well um those teams will be going at it may 31st at 2 p.m which i'm assuming is 2 p.m local time in central germany so that's like you know middle of the morning um or i guess early morning on the east coast but eurobaseballtv.com the long roundabout answer to yes apparently they do have some type of streaming and it's in english from what it seems like wow so there's something for you Bundesliga an answer, huh? i guess man it's yeah no that's really good I gave um you well focusing on the product that we have uh <laughs> As I just gave an infomercial for EuroBaseballTV.com. MILB.TV, Sam, what are you watching? Yeah, no, the, uh, the thing that we have at our fingertips. Uh, I'm going to be looking at, you know, I mentioned him earlier in the show. Uh, this Saturday, Griffin Canning is slated to go next uh, for the Mobile Bay Bears. 
He'll be playing at Tennessee. Uh, you know, like I said, they're, they're kind of holding him back a little bit right now. Hasn't thrown more than five and two-thirds innings in a start. So make sure you watch early. Try to get as much from him as you can. Um, but you'll get to see you know, why the Angels are excited about him, uh, kind of see his growth um, and, and, you know, why he was mentioned as a first-round pick last year uh, but only fell back because of health issues. Uh, uh, could be a really, really fun start against the Smokies on Saturday. So, you know, he'll be there, see why I'm excited about him, see why the, the Halos are excited about him, and then uh, tell your friends. The Class A advanced Modesto Nuts of the Seattle Mariners organization over in the Cal League are going to be on the road in San Jose coming up this weekend on MILB.TV. Man, the Nuts have, we were talking about, 2017 first-round draft selections. The Nuts actually have the last two first-round draft selections in the Seattle Mariners organization in their lineup and healthy right now. Evan White, who was limited during spring training, and Kyle Lewis coming off of the knee injuries, who was out of action until the middle of this month. Um, Kyle Lewis has started off pretty well. 14 games so far he's batting 298 322 509 for an 831 ops evan white has been fantastic uh through 45 games 294 371 422 and that's a guy whose calling card is his defense we've talked to him on the show and he is an elite level defensive first baseman but those two guys as part of that modesto lineup uh will be on milb.tv visiting the san jose giants coming up this weekend if you're up for some baseball after dark if you're on the east coast or if you're one of us out west uh some later or late ish baseball ball uh for you to catch up on while you're watching mlb tv or uh or doing other stuff on your uh, your weekend evening so that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show podcast uh, our biggest thanks again to ryan bollinger for joining the show from the yankees organization and to benjamin hill and to sam dykstra thanks to all of you for tuning in my name is tyler mon and we'll talk to you next week Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.